Hello, and welcome to What We Think About When We Think About Code. Today's guest is Jen. Welcome, Jen. Hi. Uh, so, Jen, i like to start with some questions just to get a feel for uh, your level of immersion in code. So I like to ask about, you know, when did you start, when did you learn to code, and, and when did you start learning, and then how long have you been doing it professionally? So I've been in the computer science industry since 2003, so it's been a while. Okay. Yes. And And I, so is that when you learned to code, or did you learn earlier as a kid? That's when I graduated from college. But had you coded, like, when you were a kid nope, at all? No, you learned in college. Yes. Okay. So I fell into computer science because it was suggested to me that it would be a, a good field to get into because uh-huh. it, would, it would be a, kind of like Asian parents saying, you should become a doctor or lawyer. <laughs> and this time, it was, hey, you should get into computer science. Really? Because yes. <laughs> I've heard people say that at the time, they uh-huh. were like, oh, there's no jobs in computer yes. science. So um, the, the tech bubble burst while I was in school. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, because I started college 1998, mm-hmm. yeah, and then I got to watch the tech bubble burst while mm-hmm. I was in college, and when I graduated, I thought, hey, am I going to be able to get a job? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that was a little stressful. And so, yeah. you've been co- coding sort of professionally since then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when you learned, do you remember what it was like? Um, what was the biggest hurdle, like, in being able to write code? It was very, very different and very difficult to pick up because I was surrounded by people who got into computer science because they've been doing it for a while, like, they got into it as a kid. Mm -hmm. But I was one of those people, hey, I know nothing about, like, I know how to use computers, but Mm -hmm. I have never done programming of any kind, and I was just kind of thrown into it. And the first year, my freshman year in college, was extremely, extremely difficult because everything was new, and the pace of the material that we were going over were pretty fast. And people were bored in my class where I was just drowning and dying. Mm -hmm. So, but do you yeah. remember specifically like um, l- the learning about code? Like, mm-hmm. it's usually pretty difficult for people to make that transition to yes. kind of thinking mm-hmm. like a computer, where to be yeah. able to write code. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember like what were some of the difficulties and kind of getting your mind to be able to think like that? So. My first programming language was C++. Mm-hmm. So just trying to understand concept of pointers, concept of function, um, and things like that were very difficult. Um, so what I have done over the years and when I started learning to code is just try and try and try different things until I could get it to work. Mm-hmm. So it really is just throwing everything against the wall that I can think of 
and mm-hmm. see which thing would actually make this thing work. Hmm. So, um, that's also why I usually brute my brute force my way through most problems. Okay. Yeah, that's my approach to most problem solving. <laughs> and so when you're, like, let's suppose, you know, if you can remember back mm-hmm. to the time, you know, uh, trying to write some C++ code mm-hmm. and get a compiler error. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, what is it? First of all, like, how do you know, like, what does it feel like? How do, do you... Mm-hmm. Because they're, you don't see it right away, or yeah. like, how do you figure out what mm-hmm. the error was? So, back then, I wasn't used to any like fancy editors. So, basically, having output statements everywhere, ev- after like every single mm-hmm. line of code was mm-hmm. basically my way of going, okay, it got here, and then the variable was this, mm-hmm. and um, I would put output statements after almost every single line of code mm-hmm. to just to know like did it get to here mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then compile errors i mean those were pretty simple because you know when you try to compile the code it says like oh it's usually like semicolon missing mm-hmm. or just um if you look at the code hard enough and usually, I mean, if you really read the error messages, they tell you or really try hard to tell you what was wrong. It's like you look at the lines around where the error occurred and go, like, it could fail to compile this line. Like, mm-hmm. You just look mm-hmm. at that and look around it and to see, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you just kind of learn, like, okay, this one piece of code compiled and worked like i somehow got it to work and then you look at that piece of code and you try to tell a story in your head like oh just so that you could understand why and how it worked so you build this like story and pattern in your head and then what would that story be like it's like so um it would be like if these were the type of inputs, I get this particular output. And you try to say, okay, this is the rule that mm. I have found that maybe I could apply in other situations. So you try different things to see where the boundary of that rule is. Like, mm-hmm. will it always work this way? Or if I change this one, if I trick this one thing, will the rule still apply? Mm-hmm. Yes or no. Mm-hmm. So it really is kind of poking the edges, poking the boundaries of the rule. It's like, this worked. I don't know how it worked, but it worked. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is a known base state. <laughs> and do you still kind of follow that mental strategy now? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we... Yeah. Uh, well, that's interesting. So mm-hmm. one... Um, hmm... Yeah, I kind of want to get into talking about how you think about code mm-hmm. now. I think I, one thing that's been kind of productive is to talk about uh, what people's flow states look like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, also called like being in the zone, yeah. the kind of moments when you're really productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of rings a bell. Have you had states where you were just like 
way more productive than other times? I don't know about being productive, but I have definitely been very engrossed in trying to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. So there were a few times where I was able to, I usually get motion sickness. So Mm -hmm. I try not to do anything when I'm in a moving vehicle of any kind. Mm -hmm. But there were a few times where I was on a bus and that I was able to work, look at the code and try to debug a problem. And I could actually push away the nauseousness that I was feeling. I wasn't aware of it because my Mm -hmm. mind was so engaged in trying to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. So it's not really being productive. I'm just very much into like, like I am going to solve this problem no matter what. Is there kind of an emotional state associated with that? Or is it pure, purely being engrossed in the problem? It's the, that you are very driven that you're not going to give up until you solve the problem. And over the years, I realized that sometimes it might take days or weeks to solve that particular problem because like before the problems that you would encounter, if you really were in the zone, you could figure it out in a few hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But as I encounter many different problems, it's like, hmm, if I go with that sleep, eating, and just get caught up <laughs> in this thing, and yeah. it would stretch out for days, it's like, oh, that's not sustainable. Oh, there are so problems where you can't solve in. Like, but so you yeah. feel like that kind of state, like you could just maintain that kind of level of engagement for indefinitely? A, not in, I, I've, come to realize that that is very unhealthy (laughs) okay but yeah aside from its unhealthiness it it doesn't so do you have control over it can you just be like no no. i don't think i have control over it it has control over me Uh uh-huh because so at some point you have you're like you kind of decide to put the problem away and and go do something else yes or people tell me that i should sleep (laughs) people (laughs) around me are concerned for my safety. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if you think about yourself in that state, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you said when you were so engrossed in the problem, you didn't notice motion sickness, Mm -hmm. right? And kind of sitting from there Mm -hmm. and looking at the code, Mm -hmm. what do you see? Build a mental model of how things work. What What is the mental model? So... Basically, you have, so let's say you, usually a lot, a lot of the times what I would do is I am debugging this piece of code and then I would figure a way that I could basically go through that code execution path many, many times, and I will basically... Like, in your head go through it? No, like, with a debugger. Okay. Thank God for modern debuggers. Uh-huh. I don't think I could work without them yeah. these days. But, basically, I would put, like, a break point in certain spots, uh-huh. and then I would just kind of go through that execution path over and over and over. And every single time that I go through it, I would go deep in certain functions, like, where I'm basically... Well, I I work with Java a lot. So, like, I would go, okay, 
tell me more about this function, and then that function calls another function that calls another function, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. So you can go deep in just one single function call, but that is one of many within this code execution path. So every single time that I go through that path, I go deep in each step so Mm. that I have a much clearer understanding of what's all involved in this one single path. Um, it does kind of help the fact that you know you're obsessive compulsive. <laughs> you just obsessively go through it over and over. You and don't over. lose. So, are you kind of like imagining yourself like stepping through one by one, line by line? I mean, you are yeah, stepping I, through line by line yeah. and seeing what. Do you like forget what was in some previous functions? Like by the time you get to other functions. Most of the time, no, because you're building a mental model of when I call, when I did this step, it and executed this whole nother like uh, execution path, and so you basically build out almost like the code, all the different paths that the code could take, and you just kind of build it. I mean, you almost build this. Not a hierarchy per se, but you come to know all the different variations. Like, like oh, if it branches off this way, it's going to go this, to go do this. If it branches off this way, it's going to do that. And you basically get to know that one path very, very intimately. And then as you learn more about it, and the more complex it gets because you're digging deep in each section of that path. And then your mental model of it gets more rich and more complex and more detailed. Yeah. So one of the yeah. things I want to talk about is what is that mental model? Mm. Um, so, you know, do you, does it feel a certain way? Like, does it feel like a physical object? Like, let's say, you know, you know, mm-hmm. you talked about sort of learning the flow mm-hmm. of a, do you, you know, would you literally in your head just hear the words like, oh, if this happens, then that? Or would you have something else like a feeling or an image or a... Um, usually I have, usually they're described in words and... What I would do is, what I would also do sometimes is basically draw it out. This function calls this function that calls this function. And then just kind of draw it all out. And what would that diagram look like? A lot of bubbles. Okay. With uh, either the class name or like the function name. And then lines connecting all the different Mm -hmm. circles. And then, so when you think about a circle, mm-hmm. what is that? What does it feel like? That is basically you. You label it with something, usually, like probably like a name of a function. But you also, but that circle represents something because it's responsible for. Like there's an input and it's responsible for manipulating that and then it's also responsible for some out 
output.、Mm-hmm. So you just try to understand that the circle represents some business logic or some logic of some kind. And we're talking about drawing a diagram on、yeah. paper. Yes. Okay.、Uh, but so just in your Like when after let's go like let's imagine you've been doing this like、mm-hmm. stepping through a debugger a、mm-hmm. bunch you know、yeah. something's gone wrong you're trying to understand it、mm-hmm. and you know there's a bunch of function calls in a row、mm-hmm. you've you know kind of done your deep inspection of a few of them and、mm-hmm. now you're on to some others、mm-hmm. when you think back about the ones that you already sort of inspected、mm-hmm. like what do they What do you think about? Like, do you still hear in your head like the words like "oh, this is" you know, or do you have some something else going on? If it's important at that moment, it's still clear in my head. If I think it's no longer relevant, it drops off my head. Mm-hmm. Relatively fast. Yeah, but yeah. then when it comes back into、uh-huh. your head, it's still kind of in words. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because when I actually write code,、um, I would write out in sentences or like half sentences. It's like I need to do this. I need to do this and do this. Like I would break it all out, and then I would basically write it out in basically. As comments, and、mm-hmm. then I would basically replace them with logic,、mm-hmm. and、um, well, basically with code. And、mm-hmm. I would, I usually don't see the shape of the code. I know a lot of people can just like architect things. I can't really do that.、Mm-hmm. I have a vague idea of how all the pieces should fit together, but until I start writing it.、Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really see the shape of things. Well, then, yeah, I mean、yeah. that gets to a good point. You know, sort of one of the next areas of questioning、mm-hmm. was about scale, right?、Yeah. So, do you have different ways of understanding code at different scales? So, like, you know,、mm-hmm. when you're thinking about what、yeah. a method does、mm-hmm. versus like thinking about a class or a group、yeah. of classes interacting,、mm-hmm. do different things come into your mind, or do you primarily sort of Think about it the same way. So it depends on if I am working on an existing code base versus I'm writing something brand new.、Mm-hmm. Um, what I found is that I would do, I would try to figure out the shape of the code first. What do you、And、mean by shape of the code? So it's like, oh, like every single piece of code, if it's, it was not written. Today,、mm-hmm. it's basically legacy code. Like somebody, somebody wrote this a long time ago. It could be yesterday. Still considered a legacy code at that point.、Um, you weren't there, so every single somebody made a decision on how to put that piece of code together. And then I would like to believe that every single person has had good intentions of making the best choice possible for the constraints that they were given. So, are you thinking about 
the person who wrote it and like what they were thinking or or feeling when they wrote it? I'm thinking more about when I think when I look at the code and I I might judge that code piece of code harshly, but I also remember that I have written some shitty code because I was due to the constraints that I had at the time that. Like, I try to make the best decision possible. Yeah, sure. I mean, set aside, like, you know, judgments about the quality. I'm just trying to get at, like, what goes, what is happening in your mind when you, uh, like, think at these different scales. What I think about is what were their constraints. This is why I would go talk to other people and go, tell me what went down when this piece of code was written. Okay. And, like, every single piece of code has history. Mm-hmm. And I want to go figure out the history because code only tells you so much. It's like you have to go talk to the people who have lived through it and go, what were the constraints and what were the pros and cons? Like, what were your choices and what were your constraints and why did you pick this? And they will usually tell you how the decisions were made. Mm-hmm. And, and then- so once you get that information, then you're looking at the code. What? Then, then you basically have a lot more empathy for the code that you're seeing. It's like, I wouldn't have done it that way, but I could totally understand why a person or group of people will make the decision to architect something in this manner. And also, with, with our industry, certain ideas become popular. Mm-hmm. And you can see it's like, oh, somebody wrote this code when this particular idea was popular mm-hmm. or like blah, blah, blah. Um, you can kind of see that and you can see like different people attempting to like influence the code base in a certain way. And then they didn't like refactor the entire code base to look a certain way. So you you see like half refactor code in this one mm-hmm. way and the other half untouched. And, so when you yeah. think about that difference, right? Yeah. Is there a different feeling between the two, like the refactored code and the not refactored I code? Would, I wouldn't say I, I get different feelings. Uh, what I would say is that you can tell when it was written and what Thing was popular at that moment in mm-hmm. time. But how do you recognize, like, when you see it, uh-huh. you're like, oh, this is refactored code. Like, how do you... Because you can see, it's like, you see different patterns within the code base, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you start to, like, recognize that pattern and go, oh, I think, without looking at the commit history, I can kind of guess who wrote this piece of code. Yeah. Yeah. So and- is the person that wrote the code, like, kind of very important how you're understanding it? No. But understanding their motivations mm-hmm. is but, helpful. Okay. Because it's like, I remember like with with certain type of people, it's like they, they would look at the piece of code and go like, my God, formatting. I will reformat this entire class just so that I could read it. Mm-hmm. That is like one way. Another way is like, like, like they they every single person who like touches a code base, they care about different things, and so 
everybody like leaves what they what is important to them mm-hmm. in the code base, mm-hmm. and you can kind of see that, and you can see if they were on their own, or maybe they got other people to kind of adopt and got everybody to do things in a certain way, or hmm. you know, it's like yeah, everybody people leave a mark on a code base. Yeah. Interesting. And so to get back to one of the uh, original questions, like let's imagine, you know, working in Java and you've got a, mm-hmm. you know, you're thinking about code sort of at the level of a number of classes, mm-hmm. right? How do you understand that complexity? Like, are you, do you visualize the classes interacting in a certain way or, you know, do you think about it sort of like, imagining like we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. when you were in a method and it's like this happens then Mm -hmm. that happens then at a level of like classes interacting with each other i mean in the last several decades like oo has been like the thing until like recently and functional programming has gained a lot of popularity um but with oo you basically say, what is this class responsible for? Yeah, but what, what do you say? I mean, in your head, what's in going on? In my head, I ask the question, what is this class responsible for? What should it do? What is its primary purpose mm-hmm. in life? Yeah, yeah, and then when you have that figured out, right, mm-hmm. um, how do they interact? Like, how do they... Does it get sort of an identity when you think about it in your mind um like is there a point where like what what is the shape of it mm-hmm. you know what does it look like or feel like um hmm. it's just an abstract idea in my head i don't think it really has a shape mm-hmm. per se mm-hmm yeah, it's just an abstract idea in my head. Mm-hmm. Do you ever anthropomorphize code? Think about it as if it were a person. No, I don't think so. Hmm. Um. So... Do you, uh, let's say you're moving code around, changing Mm -hmm. the way some classes interact Mm -hmm. or pulling out code from methods. Mm -hmm. Are there any sort of experiential associations? Does it, you know, um, like for me, if I think about pulling out, like let's suppose there's a big long method Mm -hmm. and I want to pull out some of the code, Mm -hmm. make separate methods. Mm -hmm. To me, that feels like a sticky substance Mm -hmm. that I'm tearing apart. Is there anything similar for you? Usually I... It's not that kind of emotion. I try... I I try to refactor code whenever I feel that, like, if I have to 
do this weird thing one more time, I might just shoot myself. <laughs> um, like it would have to get to the uh, a pain point for me to go. Okay, I'm gonna go and basically untangle this ball of craziness. Um, and and it's it's really just. I want it to make more sense. Mm-hmm. It's to me though, like the code itself. It's like I try to make it better, but at the same time, it's important that that um, that other people. Also understand it, mm-hmm. and so you would yeah try not. Are you thinking a lot about how other people are gonna think about code when you're reading it? So like you would try not to make changes because other people have already seen it this way and they're used to it. So in the past, I have. I I did certain things in a certain way because it I was able to fix or put in a feature into an existing code base without disrupting too much of the existing code base. Like I, I was like, yes, it's not the most ideal way of implementing this, but like I was able to like kind of slot it in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, somehow I wedged this into the existing code base somehow like shoved it a little Mm -hmm. um and then what some people would do is um and then you know i thought a lot about it and i also talked to like the product business people and say um like what does this feature really need to do? Or when we try to fix something, what are we really trying to fix? Like I put in a lot of time and effort into it and somebody would come in and carelessly without talking to anybody would just kind of rip it all apart and that would <laughs> enrage me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's like, so you try not to do that. So I like I've been on the receiving end of that, and where I just raged inside, and I would have to like stand up from my desk and then mm-hmm. go for a long walk. Yeah. So I tried to be, and then you know I've been, I've been, I read. There are very, very few cases where I worked in a brand new code base. I've always like showed up. And had to basically learn an existing code base. Mm-hmm. So certain code bases are easier to understand. They follow a certain pattern, and you could expect certain things. Other code bases not. So you know, it's not like you're trying to prove something, but you want to show other people on the team that you're good at what you do. Mm-hmm. So. not really undo or dismantle somebody else's work that's still on the team okay. <laughs> and then making sure that the code that you know you're writing cuz you're also writing for yourself and for other people that you're working with like 
you know, don't torture your future self mm-hmm. and then other people who would have to basically inherit the mess you're creating because, you know, you have very good intentions of making the best thing possible at the moment that you're making it. But at the same time, I've had, it's like, oh my God, who wrote that? And then like a year later, it's like, oh, that was me. <laughs> I was that person that I'm cursing yeah. right now. So I tried to minimize for that. So when I tried to like refactor code it's those things that kind of go through my head of like because at the end of the day it's like computers so you kind of it's relative i mean it's like it's it's code at the same time people are messy and hard (laughs) (laughs) so you're thinking about how the other people will feel about your actions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because I want to treat other people the way I would want to be treated. I want other people to respect me. So I want to give that courtesy to other people when it comes to their code. Because it's such a abstract and such a personal thing. The code that you're creating, it's like, it's... It's coming, like you have a problem and this is the way that you thought about the problem and how you solved it. It's such a personal thing. And to have somebody come and go, that's shit. And you're like, you know, that is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it's... um. Yeah, I, I I try to be mindful of that because it's such a like a pure creation, like whatever that was inside your head, you're trying to make it a reality, a something concrete. And there's just something so wonderful about that. Okay. Well I think with that we'll end it. Thanks for joining <laughs> me today, Jen. Well, thanks for talking to me. This one's been fun. Cool.